you for listening to the Convergence House of Prayer podcast. Please enjoy this message by guest speaker, Pastor Leonard Hayes. We're, we're, the Lord is kind of, I don't know, he's moving the pieces around and he's creating and putting relationships together. And uh, so Leonard is one of those relationships that the Lord is, we're connecting with. He and his wife, Leslie, were teaching the school, uh, a school in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Has anyone been to South Dakota before? Yeah, you know, it's okay. Anyway, not too many. So, uh, and, um, and so uh, we were there, there you know, they, the school runs, uh, actually you start at about nine o'clock in the morning and you're done about nine o'clock at night. And so there's breaks and so forth. And, uh, and so Leonard was teaching the school, overseeing it, teaching the school, and just did an amazing job. And he came to me and said, hey, I'll be in San Francisco. And, uh, and we just started talking about when you're going to be there and, and then coming to Convergence. And I feel like that's a divine appointment. Yeah. And so he's here with us. We're super excited for, to get to know Leonard. Not too many people. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever heard Leonard, but uh, he, maybe he'll share a little bit of his journey he was at, in Kansas City, I think, 12 years at the House of Prayer in 12 years. Yeah, anyway, he can share. And uh, I just really appreciate his, his, just his humility and his love for the Lord. And uh, I, wanted, I just felt like it was right to bring him into our house and let you guys just kind of receive from him and then us loving him back. And I think there's this really cool thing going on. I can't put all the pieces together. The Lord knows. I can't put those pieces together, but he's doing something special. So with, with all that said, um, I'm going to have Leonard come on up. You guys, let's give him a hand as he ministers today. Good morning. Uh, uh, I'll get there. I should probably tell you what and how they behave when they're not at home. (laughs) But I'll save that for another time, maybe. Maybe better. It's just been a pleasure just to get to know Wendy and Greg. And, and, I mean, just just the worship. I, I haven't cried like that in worship in a long time. And I just, I just was weeping and weeping, and there's, there's something special happening even this morning. And maybe it's just for me. I don't know. What are you guys doing to me? <laughs> wow. It's just good to be in your house, and, and I feel like a guest, like family. And just uh, maybe I'll give you two minutes of kind of where I've come from so you can have perspective. But I, I, I was born... No. <laughs> no, we, we, we got sovereignly called into the mission field, and I was working on a doctorate in clinical psychology. I ended up finished my, my master's, and then we went off to Ecuador, and we spent a couple years there, we then went on to spend 10 years in Mexico. Um, we're fluent in Spanish. We've pastored in Mexico, raised up many, many pastors to raised up 
churches. I mean, just all the stuff you do when you're, you're out there in the mission field. And it was, the place we were was just really intense. I mean, you'd, you'd walk down the street and I feel like I'm trapped in this little square. <laughs> I, can I walk all the way over? It's, but it feels like I'm leaving the light. and <laughs> I want to live in the light as he is in the light. So, I mean, you'd be walking down the street and, and snakes would come up not real ones, but people would, would manifest like snakes and try and bite you in the name of Jesus. And, and we saw the power of God and, and we would do big campaigns. And I mean, it was amazing, amazing. And, and there was a point when I was, I was exhausted, I would say. And a, and a friend of mine was good friends with Mike Bickle and, and he was on staff with Mike and they were starting the house of prayer. And, and he said, why don't you just come up here and, and hang out? And so I did. And, and really the impetus for me going was I, was I was tired of praying for people who were snakes. They'd get saved, healed, delivered, but then two, three weeks they'd be snakes again. And I'm like, God, like, I want people to be soundly saved. Like Brainerd, he, he said they, the people that he led to the Lord, never turned, never veered. They were, they were solid. And I, I said, either you are who you say you are. And he is. He really is. And so I went to IHOP for five days, and, and I fasted for five days, and I never fasted for five days, and I literally thought I was going to die. <laughs> it, was, it was horrible. <laughs> and, and like I'd never been there. And, and there's people, you know, they pace in the aisles with their Bibles. And I'm, like, trying to figure out, are they, like, mapping something? Is, like, is there something mystical? Because, like, if you got in people's aisles, they got really mad at you. And I'm like, oh, sorry, that's your aisle. And <laughs> you're pacing this place. So, and I'm trying to figure all that out. I mean, I'm, and I'm tired. And I'm getting up at 6 a.m. And all, all that to say, the end of, end of that time... God, everyone left the room. It was 8 o'clock. And, and Mike Bickle at that time, he would go outside and tell old stories. It was a Friday. And everyone left but me and the worship team and maybe two people. And, and God came in the room. And it's, it's a long story, but it, it, I, this is kind of how it ended. I, I was screaming at the top of my lungs, and I was screaming more. And he would come closer. And as, as I was finishing saying more, I knew he was going to come. And I thought if he came, every cell in my body would explode. It was terrifying and wonderful. Uh, I, I then had a vision, which I'm not going to talk about today, but it's still informing my life today. And so I was ruined for the prayer movement suddenly. I, I went home. I fast. I went home. I ate. And then I went home and I started a 40-day fast on water. At the end of that 40 days, and, and my wife, if she was here, she would say that 40 days was the best 40 days of my life. Uh, I, I preached nearly every day. Everyone I prayed for got healed. At the end of that, 5,000 people, mostly unsaved, came to a little, we were going to do a little event. There was no internet. We didn't tell anyone. Somehow 5,000 people showed up in the middle of Mexico. Buses were showing up. It was crazy, and, and the pandemonium that happened in that, that day was, 
was unlike anything I've ever seen, but the Lord keeps taking me back there and he says, that's just first fruits of what I'm going to pour out in the coming days. So then we were on staff at, at IHOP for a while. We did that for about five years. In there, we planted a house of prayer for three years in Mexico. Um, and then, then we took 25 young people, IHoppers, and we moved to Vermont. We, we landed on the side of a mountain, and we, we cleared land. We, we plowed land. We planted land. We harvested crops. We had 42 varieties of vegetables, etc. Two greenhouses we built. We we had a CSA. We had a cafe in town. We had a church expression. We we were just super busy. And but it was like living in a greenhouse, literally. If you if you just take any 25 people in this room and you go live together, <laughs> imagine if you will. <laughs> it. It was, it was wonderfully, desperately, <laughs> like prayer was like breathing there because you had to. You, when you're in that type of close proximity to people, you just end up having to pray a lot. <laughs> um, and, and my daughter has been on a long journey with, with sickness. And, and in, in that time, just the, the market Vermont is a very small market. Something like 500,000 people live in the state of Vermont. I don't know how many live in Fremont, but certainly more than that. And they just didn't have the medical facilities, knowledge, staff to take care of what she needed. And then we moved back to IHOP. Not on staff, I was now leading A schools and traveling for Father Heart Ministries. But we, we were there for the... The remaining five days, and, and really in October this past year, uh, my daughter passed away, which is kind of a heavy thing. And, and, and and we've been living in our car since. <laughs> we kind of packed up our house and, and put all our stuff in storage, and, and we're, we've been kind of mobile, and we've moved around. And I mean, we do a lot of this, and so we, we have a base that we base out of. But right now, our stuff is all resting in a, in a place. And, and man, it is such joy to do what we do, to see Papa, <laughs> Father, pour out his love across the world. I, as I get, get started this morning... <laughs> Looking at the time. Don't worry about the time. You have no idea what you're saying. You probably do have an idea what you're saying. But <laughs> I, I just... I travel a lot, and I was headed to, I was headed to Madagascar. And it was the beginning of, of last year. It was pretty pretty intense beginning for me I, I started the year I woke up and I was getting ready to go on on this this mission my, my daughter had just been in the hospital nearly died my father-in-law had died on the 30th my wife's birthday just kind of intense it's now the third or fourth I get up from early in the morning having traveled from across the country to get home to get my stuff to then go to Madagascar and it's early in the morning and, and I'm freaking out I'm freaking out because I'm in this encounter. I'm in this encounter for the next four days. That will just 
skip over for the next part. I find myself in South Africa, in Johannesburg. I'm in, in the lounge. I'm getting ready to get on my plate to go over to Madagascar. It's been just mayhem to get that far. And, and at the same time, I'm in the midst of an encounter with the Lord. So day after day of just, just being undone, weeping, uh, almost uncontrollably able to just function. And I'm going on a mission trip. I'm going to this place. I'm working with Iris Ministries, with YWAM and local pastors. I mean, a lot of expectation. And, and I'm just like being undone. And I get this phone call on, on Facebook Messenger. I have my computer open. And, and I, I see who it is. And like I was, I was one, exhausted. Two, in encounter. Three, I had 20 minutes before I had to go get my plane. And I'm like, should I even pick this up? And I picked it up. I said, hey, bro, what's up? And he said, hey, I didn't know who to call, so I called you. Okay, what's up? He said, it's been bad. I'm, I'm sitting in my car right now outside my apartment, and I'm not sure whether or not I can go in because I'm scared of what would happen if I went in. I said, okay, what's going on? And he said, well, to start with, I'm, I've been doing a lot of drugs lately. okay. I've been smoking some weed and doing some coke and that hasn't been great. I'm like, okay, what else is going on? He said, well, I've been cross-dressing a little bit and he's a guy and, and I've actually gone out once or twice dressed as a woman and I don't know what's going on. I'm like, okay, what else? I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm watching just tons and tons of pornography, like tons, tons, and 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 some of it is is the kind that you go to federal prison for. I'm like, bro, what else is going on? He says, I, I was at my brother's house this weekend. And he has a seven-year-old daughter. And I said, tell me what happened. And he said, nothing happened. But I, I thought that it would be okay if something happened. Can you help me? I'm in, I'm in South Africa. I've got now 10 minutes before I have to leave to go get my plane. I've been in an encounter for days. I'm wrung out, strung out. And my, my friend across the world, sitting in his car, afraid to go into his house because his roommate's party, his, all his porn and all his junk is there. And he's just saying, can you help me? And I, and I, what do you do? Does anyone have any ideas? <laughs> I said, bro, I, I have no idea how to help you. But I do know someone who does. And we're going to ask him to come help you. And I just started to pray. And, and I prayed, I prayed with boldness. I have my little earbuds in. And I'm pacing in the midst of this, this, 
place, what do you call it, airport lounge, and I'm going, Father, this is your son. Oh, he needs you right now. Please, Father, you're loving him right now. You're pouring love into his car. You're pouring love into his being. You are pushing out everything that doesn't agree with love right now in the name of Jesus. And I begin to pray recklessly because I don't know what to do. One, I have no control over myself anyway because I'm strung out, wrung out, and I'm in an encounter myself. And I just begin to contend for him. And I say, how do you feel? And he goes, I can feel him. He's filling my car. And so I just, I get more bold. And I'm like, Father, please, would you fill that car with yourself, with your love, with your glory. Pour yourself into his heart so his heart is healed. And he just keeps saying, it's, it's getting better. I feel light. I feel good. I feel wonderful. This is amazing. And I look and I go, I got to go. Let's get in touch in the next couple days. I hang up. I get to Madagascar finally. And, and I, it's early in the morning, but I call him and I say, how are you doing? He said, you won't believe what happened. I, I went into the house and I smashed all my computers. I smashed my Xbox, everything that I had to get me to all the stuff I was looking at. I had a bunch of drugs and I took my drugs and I flushed them down the toilet do you know anyone that would, would disciple me? That I, I, I feel like I'm supposed to go on mission. Can, why wham? What's a good base? Help me. <laughs> like, like, I don't care where you are, how far you've fallen. I've not heard stories like this very often. But that's the power of the love of our Father. That's who He is. It doesn't matter what pig pen you've been living in. I think you guys talked about this last week. (laughs) It doesn't matter what the pig pen is. As we turn, because of his goodness, because of his kindness, it causes us to turn, and with just one glance toward him, oh, he comes running. (laughs) That's who our dad is, our poppy, our father. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. He's loving you right now. Right now, he's loving you. Sometimes we say God is love. That's distant. That's, it feels far away. It doesn't have to apply. But beloved, right now, God is loving you. He's loving you right now. He's releasing himself into your heart, Romans 5.5. 5. He's putting himself into you right now doesn't matter what, what I talk about even. Because he's here pouring himself into you. He's loving you. I, I, I'm, I'm going to quickly go through a story in Mark 5. And it's, it's two stories in one story. And, and I believe that there's some, some things in this story today for us. Mark 5, I'm going to begin in verse 22. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. 
And he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed. This word healed is sozo. You are very familiar with that word. That she will be saved, healed, delivered, and she will live. Now what, what's unique about this is Jairus was, he was part of the wrong team. <laughs> he was on the other team. And he's, he's throwing himself at the feet of Jesus. He's throwing out protocol. He's throwing out who he is, his position. He's one of high standing in, in society. And now Jesus heard he's coming to town. He finds him and he throws himself like a child at his feet. It doesn't say this in the scripture, but I picture that his wife said, I know you're going to work today and I heard Jesus is coming. I want you to bring Jesus home. I don't care what you have to do to get him here. I don't care about your friends at work. I don't care about protocol. I don't even care about that stupid synagogue right now. I care about our daughter. And I believe if Jesus gets to our house, that our daughter will be saved. She will be healed. She will be delivered. You find Jesus, you bring him home. He was reckless. You see, Jesus wasn't part of the team. (laughs) He was the other guy. He was equivalent of a Sumerian, a dog. To him. So he throws himself at, his, at Jesus' feet and he says, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed, sozo, and she will live. And so Jesus went with him. <laughs> like if, if that was me, I would have grabbed Jesus by the hand, I would have thrown elbows and said, Let's go. <laughs> We're going home. And, and it says right after that, And a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now, I'm sure you've heard this word throng before, but let's just pretend we take everybody in this room and we're going to all come up here and we're going to squeeze kind of in this part of the stage, all of us. That would be approaching what being thronged is. (laughs) It's not just a bunch of people in a gathering. It's crushing. It's being crushed, literally. And so they're being thronged. Jesus and and Jairus are are walking through this thronging. And now it says, now a certain woman had a flow of blood. You see, there's this divinely orchestrated delay that's about to happen. Jairus is walking with Jesus. He's thrown himself. He's thrown out protocol. He's walking home. He's going to see his daughter healed. And now this, this delay happens. I don't know about you, but I've had seasons in my life where I've gotten the prophetic word. There's a yes amongst us in the spirit too. We're cruising along the train track. It looks like I see the the glory. I see what's happening. There's people coming on board. We're doing this thing. And then all of a sudden the train is in this pile on the side of the tracks. And you're looking around going, what in the world happened? I thought I heard the Lord. I, I got the word. And I had the vision. I, I felt it. I knew it. And, and those around me said yes. And, and suddenly, it's all a heap. We haven't gotten to the heap yet, but we're approaching it. Now a certain woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years, just the fact that there's 12 years, there's a divine stamp on her life. And so we have to go, okay, Papa's up to something. And when he had suffered many things from the, 
And she had suffered many things from the physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Now let's just imagine that all of us were crammed into this, this corner. And, and we, would, we would take Wendy and we'd put her in the middle somewhere. And we'd say to Greg, okay, you have to touch the hem of her garment. And you get a $1,000. Go. <laughs> but there's also a couple others that are trying to do the same thing. First one there wins. That's this woman. She's had a blood issue for 12 years. The implications are, are, are huge. She's been shunned by, she can't go to church, the synagogue. She can't be around holy people. She's, she would defile them. She's unclean. She's been rejected by her friends. She's been rejected by her family. She's been an outcast for 12 years. She's walking around, and I imagine she, she's, she's hooded, and she's full of shame. If you've been rejected for 12 years, you just carry the shame. And so she's, she's carrying the shame, but she knows that the only answer is if she can get to Jesus. But there's this thronging around him, and she wants to get to him, but she doesn't know if she can get to him. And I just picture her just crawling through the legs and, and diving and reaching for just touching the hem of her garment. Her faith was unbelievable. But it also, she was out of resource. She was out of relationships. She was all alone, and she had one answer and one answer alone, and that was if this would happen. And so she, she goes for, for Jesus' garment, and I just picture her monitoring, if I may only touch his clothes, I shall be made well. If I may only touch his clothes, I shall be made well. If I may only touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Now what you've been hearing from, from Greg the last couple of weeks is Jesus. Jesus said over and over again, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I only do what I see my Father in heaven doing. In and of myself, I can do nothing. My doctrine isn't even my own. I only say what my father says the way, I only say what my father says the way that he would say it. So if we see Jesus, we know that the father would do exactly the same, exactly the same way. He was a perfect manifestation of his father. So as we look at the story, we begin to say, if, as we see Jesus, we're also seeing Papa. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. She was free. She's experiencing freedom. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? You see, he's looking around. He's in the middle of that thronging. And he's going, Who touched me? He's talking to the disciples. And they say, are you kidding? Who didn't touch you? We're being thronged, dude. And they're, they're being crushed. But it, the language in Greek indicates that he didn't know who touched him. So he's sincerely searching, going, somebody out here touched me. I want to know who it was and why they touched me. Because something happened. There's a story here, and I want to get to the bottom of it. I'm, I'm interested in what, what my father is doing because I didn't get heads up on this one. 
looked around to see who had done this thing. But the woman, oh, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him everything. Sometimes when we encounter Jesus, <laughs> there's, there's fear involved. You see, she, she had gotten healed, but really she had touched a holy man. She was unclean. She should be stoned now. And, and suddenly, what was her last-ditch effort now becomes reality, and, and she's filled with fear because... I mean, the, the ultimate question is, and the question we all ask is, is God really good? We know God is good, but is God good for me? Is God really good for me? And, and, and Jairus, in a minute, he's asking the same question. Is God good for me? God is good. We all know it. We've, we've been at the healing meetings, and when the first testimonies come up, we're super psyched. Yeah! And we've come and we have this great need and it's been bugging us for a long time and maybe you've fasted, maybe you've prepared your heart and you just know this is the day you're going to get healed. And, and they start passing through people and then the meeting starts winding down and you haven't been healed. And that exuberance that, yeah, it's like, yeah, I'm so happy for you that you're healed. God's good. Absolutely. It's good for you, I mean. But is, is he good for me? And he is. Oh, beloved, he is. He's really good. But we all wrestle with this question, and she's now wrestling with this question. And she's, she's at the feet of Jesus. She's telling him everything. She's being transparent. She's being open. She goes, this is who I am. This is what I've done. I'm sorry. Stone me quickly. And I, I, love, I love this. Verse 34. And again, if Jesus said it, his father would say it the same way. And so if you can picture father the one who, who pushed together the dust in order to create Adam, this one who, who formed us from the clay of the dirt, this one, he gets down in his, his knees and he lifts her little chin up and goes, daughter, you're my daughter. You're my daughter. Of course I want you to be healed. Yeah, I know there's this, this law, but right now what's important is you. You and I are here together. And he's looking into her eyes and he's saying, oh, I love you. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed, so-so, of your affliction. Jesus, who was, only did everything he did in relationship, connected to his father. He was a perfect manifestation of his father. He gets down in the dirt. He lifts her little chin and says, you are daughter of my dad. <laughs> You're my sister. And as he looked into her eyes, he poured love into her being. And she wasn't just 
healed of her affliction. That was already taken care of. But now her heart is being healed. Imagine 12 years of rejection, 12 years of of not going to church, 12 years of people saying, you're unclean, get out of here. And Father begins to pour himself, his love into her heart, but it doesn't stop there. Because he calls her daughter, that means that he's going to continuously pour love into her. And when we, beloved, when we have love continuously poured into us, we begin to walk as sons and daughters. She walked away from there, a son, a daughter of Almighty God. She was free, but not just free of affliction. Her heart was healed. She was saved. But now she's walking in the freedom, the glorious freedom of the sons and daughters of Almighty God. Papa got down in his knees. He got down in the dirt. He lifted her little head and says, let me tell you who you are. Oh, let me tell you, you're my little girl. You're my daughter. And my daughter, this is how my daughter walks. You are now saved. You're now healed. You're now delivered. Now go walk in the fullness of that. And she's released. And that's, whoa, what a great story. Imagine Jairus, he's standing there and he's, he's watching this all go on. And he's like, wow, I can't wait till we get home. This is going to be awesome. My wife is going to really love me now. And I mean, just, he's, he's thrown out protocol. He's done it all. And man, What a great day this is turning out to be. Verse 35, it says, When he was still speaking, some from the synagogue, from the rule of the synagogue's house, someone came from his house and said, Your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher any further. So he's sitting there. He's he's watched all this transpire with this woman. She's saved, healed, delivered. She's on her way. And now somebody from his household come and says, bro, leave him alone. Leave the master alone. He, he's got stuff to do. Look, he's being thronged. Why are you bugging him? You have duties. You need to start cooking food. You need to hire some whalers. You got stuff. To, your daughter's dead. It's over. It's finished. Kaput. We're going back to that divine delay now. The thing that you felt from the Lord and you were running with it. And it it was this dream that he had dropped in your heart. And now, beloved, now it's really crashing. He's, He's confronted with this crashing reality all around him. And he's going, oh, listen to this. Verse 36. This is probably the best verse in this whole thing. As soon as Jesus, and this next phrase, my Bible is translated heard the word that was spoken. But the literal translation says, as soon as Jesus, ignoring what was said, says to the ruler, do not be afraid, only continue to believe. Do not be afraid, only continue to believe. Now Jesus, ignoring what was said, blah, 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 (laughs) blah. And he looks at him and he says, look at my eyes. Do not be afraid. Only continue to believe. Oh, it looks like a train wreck right now. Yeah, I get it. But do not be afraid. Only continue to believe. Do not be afraid. Only con- Look at my eyes. Look at my eyes. If you have little children and, and they're pouting and they don't want to behave or they, they've, they've done something wrong and you're trying to console them and you pick up their little chin and go, look at my eyes. Look at my eyes. I love you. I love you. 
No, no, no. Pick, pick it up. Pick it up. There you are. I love you. That's what Jesus is doing. Hey, I'm with you. Do not be afraid. Only continue to believe. We're going to walk this out together. This isn't all over yet. And so they begin on their way. You see, the love of the Father, the love of the Father comes into the hopeless situation. I told you the story in the beginning of of my friend out out in his car. The, The love of the Father comes into the most hopeless situation. The most hopeless situation. I don't care where you are today. I don't care what's happened to you today. I don't care what trains have wrecked around you today. Because the love of the Father, it is so much bigger. He actually has the whole world in his hands. He actually is the one who is the author and the finisher of your faith, of your life. He is the one. We lean not on our own understanding, but on him who he is, his character. Hope is not a biblical word as we understand hope. I hope that a lottery ticket blows in front of me and I pick it up and it's a winner. That's what I'm hoping for. But biblically, hope doesn't mean that. Hope is certainty based on the one who has said it. Do not be afraid, only continue to believe. Oh, He's just been told his daughter's dead. And Jesus is saying, bro, it's okay. I've got you. And then he he leaves there and he permits no one to follow him except for Peter, James, and John. And they came to the house of the rule of the synagogue and saw a turmoil of those who wept and wailed loudly. The wailers are already there. The poorest of poor in these times, they would hire at least two whalers. That's just culturally. He was, he was a rich man. He was a society man. He was a ruler. He's probably like an accountant or a bookkeeper or, or somebody of importance in the synagogue. He wasn't a priest, but he was a man of stature. So there would have been many, many whalers wailing there. And they come into the scene, and, and the three boys, the, the three disciples are with Jesus Jairus is is with them, and they're coming in, and there's this wailing going on. And when he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion? Jesus speaking. The child is not dead, but he's just only sleeping. It's not dead, it's just sleeping. The child is not dead. She is only sleeping, is what Jesus says. And then they begin to ridicule him. Beloved, there is a price to pay for fearless faith. When, when we're reckless in our faith, when we're reckless in our hope in who he is, oh, there's those that will gather around us and mock. It, it says here, it indicates in the language that those who were ridiculing Jesus and, and Jairus and the boys, they had superior knowledge. Worldly knowledge. And so worldly knowledge was coming against the divine, the the supernatural. And there's this conflict going on. And and watch what happens. When he came in, they, they begin to ridicule him. But he then pulls them all outside. He took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him. And they entered where the child was, was lying. You see, those who, who mock those who who have superior knowledge, those that that won't dare to see into the divine, into the supernatural, they're left outside. 
They don't get to see. They don't get to participate in the divine. They don't get to walk into the supernatural that's about to happen. They're all left outside. And so Jesus takes his boys, Jairus, and he takes the mom and dad, and they go in. And then he takes the child by the hand. Now, Jesus is a holy man. Jesus cannot touch dead people. It's illegal. He can be stoned now. He's, he's unclean. He can't perform his duties anymore. But Jesus, he, he often breaks protocol. He reached out and he touches his, her little hand. And he, and he says, at least in our Bibles, it says, Talitha kumi, which literally is translated, he says, little lamb. <laughs> You're my little lamb. If Jesus said it, the father said it. So daddy, papa, is going, oh, little lamb. Come on, get up, get up, get up. And then it says, and they were overcome with, my Bible's translated great amazement, but truly what that means is ecstasy. Like they went nuts. They went absolutely crazy. Imagine if your daughter had been dead, even if it was only for a few hours, and you walk in and the healer comes with you, and suddenly she's risen. She's not dead, but she was only sleeping. Wah! I mean, you would just go nuts. Ecstasy is, is not even close to what was going on there. They were losing their minds. I can imagine this. And they were overcome with great amazement. And then Jesus goes on and says, she's probably hungry. Get her something to eat. Apparently, dying and coming back to life makes you hungry. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> I, I, I want to wrap this up. You see, when Jesus came in to Jairus' milieu, when he came into his world, and he'd just been told that his daughter was dead, he said, do not be afraid. Things aren't what they seem. Just continue to believe. It's, it's, it's a present progressive verb that continuously, continuously continue to believe is, is how it could be said. Don't be afraid. Just continuously continue to be in faith because you're with me. You're with Papa. And then they go in, and, and Jesus proclaims, she's not dead, she's only sleeping. Beloved, there's some of you today who superior wisdom has come around you and said, it's dead. That dream that the Father dropped in your heart, it's dead. Just leave it alone. you got other things to do. You should get on with your life. You're wasting your time. You're wasting your money. Why are you even thinking about this anymore? And superior wisdom has come around you and it's ridiculed and mocked what God has put in you. And this may not be all of you, but there's some of you today that the Father has put a dream in your heart. And superior wisdom says it's dead. And I believe this morning that Jesus is saying to you, do not be afraid. Just continue to believe it's not dead. It was just a divine delay. It's, it's just sleeping for a bit. 
Beloved, I, I, I believe there's an anointing in this room this morning for you to step into that. Part of the price of, of being a creative, of being an entrepreneur, is that those around you won't understand you. And superior knowledge will come quickly and say, that's not, that's not valid. That doesn't merit any more time, expense, energy, life. Oh, but if Papa's put it in you, if he's dropped it in your heart, and even if it does feel like there's been a train wreck, he can say to you, look at my eyes. Don't be afraid, just continue to believe. It's only sleeping, it's not dead. If, if you want to come into the place of intimacy with me, with my father, if you want to come into the closed room with us, oh, we just might do something amazing. You see, those who have been naysayers, those who have ridiculed and said that it's ridiculous, they're going to stay outside, but I'm inviting you in. So that's part of the group I want to pray for this morning. There's been this divine delay in your life and, and even mocking and even superior knowledge coming against that, saying it's impossible, that will never happen. But yet that dream, that, that spark that Papa originally put in you, it still burns. Maybe it's, it's just an ember at this point, but I'm saying this morning there's a grace for him to begin to blow on that ember so that it begins to burn again. That which is dead can come back to life. It's only sleeping. It's not dead. I also want to pray for those who are just in a desperate situation and they need a touch from the Father. Just like my friend who was in his car, full of fear, not sure that he wanted to go into that room, unsure whether God was really good for him. He knew God was good. He knew that I was somehow connected with the goodness of God. And maybe there was something in me of him that could help him. Oh, beloved, today he is here and he's loving you. And so if you're in this place where you're going, I just need a touch. I'm trapped. I don't know how to get out of this. It feels really desperate and I feel very isolated and alone. I'm in my little car all by myself. Beloved, he wants to come into that car with you today and he wants to fill you with his love. That's just who he is. Man, he loves doing it. If he can do it from South Africa... <laughs> all the way into the United States. Man, we have such an opportunity this morning. <laughs> so why don't, if, if, and I don't really know your protocol here. I know there's a ministry team, but let's just say people that just need a touch from the Father's love, you come over on this side, and those who, who have this divine delay in your life, and you're saying it's not dead, but it was only sleeping, and you're asking for Father to blow on that that you would come over on this side. And I'll just, just pray for us and then pass it over to Mr. Greg. So, Papa, I'm so grateful for who you are. 
I'm so grateful that you're here loving us right now. And really, it doesn't matter what what kind of a mess we've come from. That with just one glance, one just one little look from us to you, you come running with all your might, with all your strength. You're not far and distant, but you're near at hand. There's some some entrepreneurs and creatives in here. (laughs) Father, you know the dreams of our heart. And I would would venture to say that you're the author and finisher of our dreams. And Father, today, as as we see these, these, these hungry children that have come to you, you just lift up their little chins and you say, daughter, son, it's not dead, it's only sleeping. Father, I'm asking for a grace to be released across this room. A grace to to walk and and live as a son, as a daughter, fully functioning in the reality of you pouring love into us day and night and night and day. And we don't want just a little, we want a lot, Poppy. (laughs) We want all that you would give, a son or a daughter tonight, this morning. So open the floodgates of heaven this morning. Father, release the angelic We trust you. We trust you, Father. We trust your goodness. We trust that you're good for me. You're good to me. You're loving me right now. Right now. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more messages like this, Please subscribe and thank you for listening.